incarnation. You might want to ask, what? What in the world? Incarnation. Well, you really say it, incarnation. It's familiar if you know reincarnation. You know, the idea that you come back to be somebody else. Your spirit does. Incarnation, it's a, it's a word that's actually not even found in Scripture. It's a theological word. And so as we think about that, as we go and talk about that, incarnation, it's a word that is loaded with significance, however. It's a word that means so much, and it's, it's a word that, that should inspire you. But maybe we look over it too fast, and maybe hey, we don't use that word. That's all right. It's the meaning that's important. Now, I wanted to share with you this story I'm going to tell you happened several years ago. This was before they had smartwatches. So this man was at the airport, and he was rushing, and he had forgotten his wristwatch. And he was madly looking around, trying to find a clock in the airport as he was running through. And as he was going through, he was trying to find out what in the world he could do, where he could find a clock and finally, in desperation, he was afraid he was going to miss this flight because he knew he had a tight connection. And so he stopped this man and he said, uh, pardon me, can you tell me what time it is? And the man said, well, sure. And he set down two heavy suitcases and he looked up and he said, yes, it is 1037. And the man says, thank you. And also, also today's weather tells us that we're going to have sunshine today. It's going to be 73 degrees. Well, the possibility of cloudiness tonight. Oh, yes. Well, thank you. And it also, if you're going to Tokyo, they're going to have some clear weather today, although it's going to be cooler there. Really? Yeah. And if you're going to go down to Madrid, Spain, if you're flying to Madrid, Spain, it's going to be rainy today. And the man was just stunned. Of course, we don't think anything about that now with our smartwatches. Smarter than I am, I think. But those smartwatches, and, um, but the man says, that's amazing. You know all of that from your watch? You can tell all that from your watch? And the man says, yes, I'm an engineer. And I've been working on this for quite a few years. And I finally got it perfected that I can tell all kinds of information simply from my watch. And the man was looking at it. And he said, well, I'm just stunned that you can know all of that from, from your watch. And he said, well, I've been working. I said, the man was so impressed. He said, look, at, I'll give you $1,000 for that watch. Oh, no. The man said, no, no, no. The engineer said, I, I can't do that. I can do that. I, I've been working on it so long. I done, you know, it's one of a kind. He said, all right, $2,000. I'll give you $2,000 cash for your watch. He said, well, I appreciate that. That's very kind of you. But as, as a reality, I made this watch particularly for my son as a gift. And I wanted to give it to him, present it to him, and that's I'm on my way to do that. And he says, well, I've got it. You could make another one. Uh, the man who was traveling says, you could make another I've got to have that watch. I'll give you $4,000 for that watch right now in cash. And the man says, well, that's a lot, but I'm sorry. I just, I just can't part with $10,000. I can give you $10,000 for that watch right now. Well, the man says, $10,000? Yes, cash right now. Well, I said, oh, okay, I, I guess you can have it. So he took off his watch and he gave it to the other man. 
And the other man put it on. He was so excited. He paid the man. He started turning. And the man says, wait, 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 wait. You need to take the batteries. And he picked up the two suitcases to hand to him. Jumping to conclusions about how it is that such a complex thing needed these two huge batteries to go with it to keep it operating. Well, unfortunately, you don't have to do that. But sometimes we load terms up so much that they get heavy. They weighted down. My father came to visit me one time, and we were as at the seminary. And I know he, my dad is a, a physician. He was a physician, and, and um, I know he just was so curious about the seminary. And so I said, uh, would you like to go with me and go to a class with me? Oh, he jumped in. Oh, yes, I'd love to go see that. So we went to a class, and, and as we were sitting there, listening to the class, the teacher was going on, and I'm taking my notes, because I know all the stuff's going to show up on a test someday. So I'm taking notes, and my dad's sitting there listening, and the lecture's going on, and after 50 minutes, that was it, and we uh, were walking home. And on we were walking home, I said, uh, said to my dad, well, well, Dad, what did you think? And as we were walking along, he said, well, that was really good. And I said, well, good, good, I'm glad you enjoyed it. He said, I have no idea what he was talking about. And it suddenly hit me. In my process of education, when I was listening to him, I understood everything he was talking about because it was in my language, in my, in my development. But my dad, who could talk medicine and I'd be totally lost, and many of you are professionals and do things that you could talk about things I wouldn't know about. But he was, I was stunned that he didn't know. And I kind of walked and said, well, I've gone someplace where others haven't. And so I have to be careful. So Kendall keeps reminding me, try to keep it simple, will you, Pastor? Try to keep it simple. So I'm trying. Try to keep it simple. But incarnation... Incarnation is a different and difficult word to go about. So, first of all, I'd like to, for us to think about, why is it important? Why is such a word like incarnation important? And why should we waste any time on it? The second part of that would be where to start. Where to start talking about that. So, I'm going to go backwards first. We're going to answer the second question first, and then we'll come back to why it's important, because I need to lay a landmark. So, so where should we start? Where should we start to look at a topic such as the incarnation, which maybe already you're going, well, I have no clue. It's going all over my head here. I'm trying to keep it simple. Yes, thank you. Thank you, Dorothea. So, going. Perhaps the best place to start would be to start where John started. So if you have your Bible, if you would turn to John chapter 1. Now, we've talked about this a couple weeks ago. We looked at this, at this passage, and we talked a lot about it. So if you were here, or you saw us online, maybe you can look back. We, we can pick up there. But if you would go to John chapter 1 and verse 1, and if you're looking there in your Bible and find that, you could follow along. If you're following along online, please look in your own Bible. It'll be on the screen for you. So here we go. In the beginning... In the beginning, you have to go back when we talked about this earlier about what that means, but in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, 
John is using the word word in capital there because he's referring to that refers to Jesus. That Jesus was the word. What do you mean by the word? It was the good news. It was the best news you could ever hear. And so in the beginning was the best news you could ever hear. Jesus was slain from the foundations of the world, Jesus said. I found in Revelation. So in the beginning, in the very beginning, was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. So Christ was God, John is saying. And then in verse 14, as we looked at, and the word became flesh and had its dwelling. His dwelling was among us. It's the same word as to use as to tabernacle with us or to, to live, to pitch his tents with us. He came and lived among mankind. So here we have God who comes to live among us. That's what John is saying. Well, Jesus, in referring to that, he many times have made reference to that, but he also was sharing with, John's trying to say to us, indicates he pre-existed before his birth. Pre-existed before his birth. That's a hard thing for us to wrap around. To pre-exist before your birth. Something going on different than our own human experience. So he was before that. Jesus many times used the kind of the idea of he was sent by the Father. Sent by God to come to this world. And there are lots of texts there. You can look them up later when you're online. But lots of texts, and that's just a sample of them. And what Jesus is referring to, that he was sent. He was sent by the Father. Jesus also said, I came from the Father to enter into the world. Now I'm going to leave in the world and going back to the Father. See that? I was coming and going, John's talking about. Coming and going, Jesus was talking to his disciples. They were thinking about leaving. They were thinking about leaving him. And, and then uh, verse chapter 6 is, and then what if, Jesus said, and then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? What are you going to do then? What are you going to say then? Of course, they saw Jesus ascending up into heaven when he went up into heaven. So here we have a, an example here that I would like for us to lead into John chapter 8. And if you would please find that. John chapter 8. There are a couple passages in this particular discussion this morning that are particularly important. One of them is here in John chapter 8. Now, if you're familiar with the New Testament, and you're familiar with the actions of Jesus when he was telling his story and through the Gospels, Jesus seemed to be in constant conflict with the Pharisees. Constant. They hated him. In fact, they planned to kill him. So here he is. This particular example is where he's arguing with him about a coin. But it could have been anything. He could argue with him constantly because they were trying to put him down and they were trying to get rid of him. They thought themselves superior to him. So a discussion, an argument, a dispute, we should say. In my Bible, it says it's a dispute. A dispute, an argument, grew between the Pharisees and Jesus. And they're arguing back and forth. Pick up with verse 48, would you? We're going to read down through this passage a little bit. Verse 48, the Jews then answered him, Aren't we right in saying that you are a Samaritan and demon-possessed? Can you imagine that? Saying that. Aren't we right? Well, what do you expect him to say? Yeah, well, of course, yeah, I guess you are right. Now, Jesus answered in verse 49, I'm not possessed by a demon. Said Jesus, but I honor my father, and you dishonor me. 
Now, that didn't set well either. You can see now they are pulling sides here together. Verse 50. I'm not seeking glory for myself, Jesus said. But there is one who seeks it, the Father. And he is the judge. Very truly, I tell you. Whoever obeys my word will never see death. Now, Jesus is talking about the second death. If you're familiar with what the scripture talks about, we face the first death, but the second death is eternal. It's talking about after the resurrection, of it, what will happen is whoever obeys my word will live eternally. That's what he's really saying. Verse 52, and at this, <laughs> here they go, at this they exclaim, now we know that you are demon-possessed. Abraham died and so did the prophets. Yet you see that whoever obeys your word will never taste death. <laughs> yep, we've got you now. Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? Abraham, of course, being the head of the Jewish uh, family through Isaac. It's interesting that the other side, the other came down through Ishmael. Two great religions side by side. But are you greater than Abraham? Abraham, Father Abraham, was chosen by God. Jesus replied, If I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My Father, whom you have claimed as your God, is one who glorifies me. Though you do not know him, I know him, knowing the Father. If I said I did not, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I obey his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. So evidently, God revealed to him the future of what was going to be happening. Looking ahead down to the day when the Lord would return and come. You are not 50 years old, they said to him. And you said you have seen Abraham? What a joke they're laughing at him, mocking him. Very truly, I tell you. Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. Not before Abraham was born, I was. Before Abraham was born, I am. Jesus used the word Yahweh. Before Abraham was born, Yahweh. Meaning, I am the God who spoke to Abraham. And they immediately picked up stones and stoned him because Jesus was blind. He slipped away the temple grounds from them. He slipped among them and is gone. His time had not yet come. Well, that's the most fascinating thing because at the burning bush, at the burning bush, when Moses was at the burning bush, if you recall, years ahead, years before, when Moses was at the burning bush, 
He saw this bush burning and he came up and the bush spoke to him and told him, you're standing on holy ground. And he revealed to Moses that he was the one to lead Israel out of bondage. And Moses asked him, well, who shall I say has sent me? Who is the one who's telling me to go? Who is the one? And the response was, I am who I am. Yahweh. Yahweh. So when Jesus used that term, when he stood there with the, uh, with the uh, Pharisees, when he stood arguing and disputing with them, when he was talking with them, when he used that word Yahweh, he was associating that I am the God who was there who led you out of Egypt. I'd like to suggest to you that's the same God who was the Ten Commandment giver, that it was the same Passover one, who was the same one who was the uh, ladder, who was the pillar of fire, who was the cloud, who was so many times appeared in the Old Testament that it was the I am, it was Jesus himself. So, there it is. I am. Credible text, credible part. It's amazing that John shares that with us, exactly how it would point to the importance of why, why he said, I am the I am. So, there is no uh, longer mere pre-existence. It is eternal pre-existence. Not that he ever had any beginning. It was eternally pre-existent. Why is that important? Why would we look? Why is that important that we should even bother to look at that? Why should we bother to even understand that? Why is the incarnation significant to us? Because there's something we really need to catch about this as we look at it. Because it Im implies something to ourselves. Something important to us. And that is that importance to us is how we feel. Now, during the uh, war, and I just took this picture because um, I liked it. It's a picture of soldiers fighting, being ready to fight. We had Revolutionary War. We've had, you know, the War of 1812. We've had, we've had World War I, World War II, Korean, Vietnam. Seems like we're in a war a lot, huh? And there are stories that come out of that that share with us about experiences of people who have given their lives to save their buddies. There's a, a comrade, there's a brotherhood among soldiers that, that they are there to save one another's lives. They won't leave them behind. They, they take great care. They'll carry them out. They'll, they'll lay down their life. I remember my church years ago was in a wheelchair and an old man and uh, he said, Pastor, I want you to come up to my house. I want, you, I want to talk to you. So I went to his house, and I didn't know what he was doing. He was, he was a cement man. He had a cement company and the trucks and all that stuff that you need. And so it was on his property. I went up and I found his house. And, and uh, even from his wheelchair and his 80s, he kind of ran that thing, he and his daughter. And so I, I went up to see him and um, took his wheelchair. I said, I need to talk to you privately. So he, he wheeled himself into the room and he closed the door. And I sat down and he said, I've never really told anybody or asked anybody this. 
you know, like what? And he said, um, Pastor, I was in the Battle of the Bulge. Oh, are you familiar with the Battle of the Bulge? You aren't in history. You ought to find out what the Battle of the Bulge was about. But it was in the Battle of the Bulge, and there were about 300 or so men that were in his company, including his very best friend from high school. They gotten went to high school together. They had gotten recruited together. They served in boot camp together, and now they're together in the Battle of the Bulge, the same squad. And one night, they were out, and they were under fire. The Germans were shooting every which way, and gunfire constantly and they ran as they were and there were some foxholes and his friend ran to the first one his ran to the first one and got in because he was a little quicker a little faster and there was only room for one so he had to keep running dodging bullets and getting and jumped into a second one he turned around to look as he peeked his head up over to see his friend when a hand grenade went into the foxhole and killed his friend He had lots of stories like that. He and the second lieutenant were the only one out of those 300 men that walked out alive. Only two. So now he's there in his wheelchair and he's talking to me and he said, Pastor, why am I the one that's saved? Those aren't easy questions for pastors to answer. Why does God do what he does? They're not. So we chat a little bit and tried to help him a little bit. And he said, I would have willingly given my life for my friend. I think, at least I hope, we had a fire in here. We had a fire that I... I believe that I would make sure you got out first. I think I would do everything I could to make sure you got out first. But if a member of my family is here, they get out first. The giving of ourselves for someone else. So, Jesus said, greater love has no one than this, to lay down his life for his friend. We would say that. And we've had experience where people have done that, lay down their life for their friend. But there's more here than one dying for another. Would you please follow this closely? There's something more here than one laying down his life for another. As great as that is, and as, much, as true as that is. Mark 10, 45. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And to do what? To give his life as a ransom for many. Not the one. For many. True. And even more than that. There's something more than just dying for the many here. There's something more. Something deeper. Something more personal. You see, Philippians 2. The Bibles turn to Philippians 2. This is the second passage that I would like for you to notice. It is the most incredible 
description Paul gives of Jesus. It's one that as I read it, it gives pause. It's actually, if you notice, if you have it in your translation, it's actually written as poetry. And the prose of it, actually the movement of it, Paul wrote something incredibly beautiful. Second, uh, Philippians chapter 2, verse 6, who, speaking of Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used or something to be grasped to his own advantage. Not trying to do that. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant. Being made in human likeness. Rather, rather, he made himself nothing. Made himself nothing. The king of glory. The one who can speak and things happen. The great creator of this world became nothing, became a servant, took on human flesh, the very flesh he created, formed it with his own hands. And being found in the appearance of man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death. Yes, even to the death on a cross. Therefore, therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and placed him the name above every other name, every name imaginable, Redeemer. And that by the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Powerful, powerful passage there. I would hope you would underline it, mark it, know that it's there in your Bible. It's an incredible thing. So what? So what? What does that mean, though? What does that mean to us? Jesus went to the cross to save you. He went to the cross to save me. Your creator went to the cross to save you. Your creator. Think of all the other options he could have had. He could have stopped, said, this isn't working, sorry, we'll try something else. I'm sick of your sin, we're done. But he went to the cross to save you, to save me. Why would the Creator go to the cross to save me? Why would the Creator do that? There's no logic to it. That's why the Incarnation is so critical. Because why would the Creator go to the cross to save His creature? His rebellious creature. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's what gets me. 
That's why I find it so incredible, the incarnation, that God would come and go to the cross, become a human, become a servant, become us, that he might save me while I was yet a sinner, still rebelling. Because he knew I needed him. God becoming man. Incarnation. For the very purpose of your future, my future, there was nothing more. God's great love for us. I'd like for you to not worry about the word incarnation. Don't worry about that. You could use it if you want, but the, the real meaning is Christ, God, our God, our Creator, loved you so much that He was willing to pay for your sins, to redeem you while you were still a sinner. And to me, that stuns me. It's not logical. <laughs> Love is not logical. The only reason is, is because he loved you. He loved you. That's why. No other reason. Doesn't make sense. He loved you. He loved you. He loves me. And therefore, I have no response but to say, my God, Thank you for saving me. Thank you for saving me. Dear Lord, I thank you for the power of what you did. That when you came to this earth, you had a purpose. To share with us the greatest love that could ever happen while we were yet sinners. This isn't just dying to help someone else. This isn't just dying for a friend. It's the creator, the God of this universe came to save his creatures who were rebellious. I thank you, Lord. I thank you. I thank you, Lord. What an incredible gift of your love. It stuns us. It sobers us. And yet it fills with joy and hope. I thank you, Lord. I thank you, Lord. In Jesus' Holy name, precious name, amen, amen, amen. We are delightful today. We are going to welcome and have a dedication for a wonderful young man. Come on up, just come on up. Trejar and Trevor are bringing their son, Trejar, to the Lord to be dedicated today. And I am delighted that he is here. Sorry. You are the cutest can be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You got your hair all done and everything. That's all right. You can stand here. We'll, yeah. But today, uh, we are, come on up. Yes. I'm sorry. I need to get the. Dedicating a child to the Lord and coming into the house of the Lord is significant because Mary and Joseph brought Jesus to the temple. Brought him before the people and there's significance in that because we as a community of faith then, we as a community of faith hold this family and the precious child as being part of us as well. And that this child, this child we will minister 
the great gifts of Christ to whenever they come and whatever way we can. It's our duty to provide for them education and, and serious in Christ Jesus and to be with them and to support mom and dad through the challenges as parents we know that lie ahead, don't they? Mom and dads, yeah, the time the lie ahead. So on behalf of the church, I'm asking, would you take care of that? Would you be willing to take the responsibility of helping this precious family as they go forward? I'm going to ask Sharon to speak for the church. Well, good. God bless you. Thank you very much. Thank all of you as we do that. And now we're going to have a dedicatory prayer. I'm going to keep talking forward instead of towards them. You all understand why as we do this. So Dear Lord, I thank you for this precious life that has now been brought into the world. You have known Trajan for a long time, and Trajan has been in your mind, and hang, his picture is already hanging on your wall. I thank you for these parents who see the importance of training a child in the way he should go. And they're following the example of Mary and Joseph in bringing their child here to this place to be blessed. I ask, Lord, that your spirit descend upon this family and that you be with them in everything that they do. Lord, be with them when they are tired and weary and when, when sharp words may come to their lips, that you will help them. I ask that you be with this young man as he is starting out in his life, as he is growing in you. May your spirit walk with him and be able to be with him and to speak with him that he will know that you are with him and that you want him and that you need him and that you've saved him. So Lord, we ask your blessing to come upon them, upon the child, upon the father, and upon the mother by your grace in Jesus' name. Amen. And God bless. <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. This is Trevor and Taker and we have their certificate for them.